and welcome to this week's Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Uh, it's felt a really long first full wheel, uh, week back for me. Um, fully back into the routine now, I think, Ian. And Christmas fully in the rear mirror and next target for me is summer, which is a long, 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 long away. Speak for yourself, I'm off for a bit of a... Uh... Winter sun, on I, in a couple of weeks for my birthday? do not count, uh, it's not really summer. Fuerteventura. Um, so I think three weeks today I'll be there. Isn't so, that where old swingers go? Don't think so, no. Are you just Are you making sure? it up? No, I'm not sure. <laughs> this is, uh, the missus led on this nice little... She booked it. Yeah. <laughs> well. I don't think she's into swinging. Um, but, um, yeah, so I've, I only kept, I've three weeks for me. I've got to wait for the summer. So, yeah, it seems weird having... Full week back, three weeks, then off for a week. But um, it's all right. That's three more episodes of uh, Tapping Up podcast. So very much uh, maybe more I'll to look ju- forward to. Maybe do a remote one live. I'm in, around by the pool. You could do. Smashed. Well, you've got another couple alongside you. <laughs> While I'm watching my burger, we're in just like a cuckold. But um, no, it's not on the, not on the agenda. What a, what a horrendous way to start an episode of a podcast. Um, you just what is it? This, I say where I'm going, you'd be like. Hey, that's the capital of swingers, isn't it? Like, no, I've literally never heard that. Like, you're off to Oktoberfest, don't you? Stag do, isn't that the capital of um... schnitzel? <laughs> Swallowing schnitzel and yeah, let's move it's, on. It's going in very dark, <laughs> dark ways. This podcast so far. Um, not that much MMA this week. I think we'll start on MMA because we always do, and as you've already said before, this is. Uh, what people tune in to listen to, I think. I don't really give a fuck about our footballing opinions, but obviously the experts in MMA that we are, um, we can go straight into that. And there's been an Nganu and Jones update, finally. So Nganu's head coach, Eric... It's not really an update, though, is it? It's enough. It's dangling that, that rod out, isn't it? Um, a bit like you doing Port Ventura in a few weeks' time. Um, so Eric Nixick who is Nganu's head coach, has said that he's hopeful that the John Jones fight will be made for the title and it seems like UFC is targeting UFC 285, which is March the 4th in Vegas, I think. It's the one before London. Roll it over. Give it into to the London one. Give us tickets to it. I'd be a very happy man. We're not that lucky, but at the moment, it's not really a progress update, but I agree with you. It feels like it's moving in the right direction. I'll take it. That fight's just got to happen. It's just, I think, I'll be honest with you, it feels like the UFC, whilst they were a bit of messing around with both of them and they've had the contractual standoff, particularly with Ngannou, particularly maybe some of the things which we'll come on to discuss in Dana White have maybe made them realise and take stock, right, we need to capitalise on these real money-making fights. That is the money-maker at the moment. Yeah. Connor then... aside, that's the one that's going to make the huge bucks. Well, there isn't so anything else, need, is there? They need to capitalise. And I think it's become more of a oh, we're less bothered to suddenly they've looked in the mirror a bit and been like, we're going to miss out on a shit ton of money if we don't make this fight. Well, the Volkanovski fight is, for the purest of the sport, something to get excited about, but it's not a money maker, Wouldn't is it? It's even hit the top 15 to pay-per-views ever, that. And again, for us, that is a fight, arguably the best ever lightweight and arguably the best ever featherweight fighting each other. So for the purest... Absolutely amazing fight. I tell you now, it won't even register, as you say, but probably not even the top 20 pay-per-views of all time. We'll see, we'll see. So hopefully, obviously, London is the, uh, the target for that. that would, but... my, our lives aren't that good, but that would be to get to watch 
them two fight in in person in London, literally sounds like gimpiest fight. That would be a dream come true. Well, it'd, be, it'd be the biggest fight in UFC history, so it'd be one thing that you could Definitely tell the everyone. Biggest heavyweight fight ever, for sure, 100%. And to be there as part of that. But not the biggest fight ever. What, what's the biggest fight ever? And again, I suppose, how do you quantify it? But uh, Yeah. I mean, again, in paper... But <laughs> it's not an answer. If you quantify it, though, probably quantify it. Will it sell as many pay-per-views as, for example, Connor, Nate 2? Probably not. So if you defined it by sales, you know, two of the best ever fighters in their division, yeah, it's probably the biggest ever fight. But it depends what metric you define it by. But yeah, uh, I'd be surprised, though. Even that, I still don't think that will register... I think Connor's got four of the top five pay-per-views of all time. I'd be surprised if that breaks the top five. Even though that, that the fight Even is... Even though he's arguably the GOAT and it should be one of the the best it's, fights. It's got to be the GOAT and the hardest-hitting man ever. Yeah. Like, who doesn't want to see that fight? Like, you're not an MMA or even combat sports fan if you don't get childishly excited about the prospect of that fight. Speaking of GOATs, um, news about Khabib this week so he seems to be stepping away from UFC and MMA just altogether by the sounds of it so yeah it was it was rumoured for a little bit before he came out and made a statement that he said that he's going to be temporarily taking a break to spend some time with his family the cynical side of me as ever kicks in here is that has he got some kind of bad news not necessarily him someone in the family is someone suffering from something obviously his father died during covid know that his father died of covid during covid and it was when his father was quite unwell he made a promise to his mother that he would never fight again and he has seems of a very close relationship with particularly his parents or he left his mother so i wonder if and i hope i'm wrong here the cynical side of me that maybe his mum's unwell so maybe he's i need to step away i've got enough money i don't need to i'm going to spend time with my family and then maybe reassess and come back. But yeah, he said it. He's come out and said it will be temporarily stepping away from coaching, cornering, and even his own. He's got his own promotion, doesn't he? Called uh, Eagle Fighting Championships. Yeah, so, which I think if obviously if it is bad news like that, then you know, best wishes to him and his family. Um, obviously, we hope it isn't, and it might just be that he's been involved in the sport for a significant period of his life and just wants a little bit of a break before potentially coming back. Um, I think if it is that, the likelihood is that he will come back. I, I can't. Imagine someone with the hunger of Khabib will be able to just stay away from the sport entirely. But yeah, we'll see. It's a pretty all all engrossing kind of sport, and someone like Khabib, you don't get to be one of the greatest of all time without a ridiculous driving desire. So I hope I'm wrong, and maybe it's just you know what, this is overtaking twenty years of my life. I'm just going to fucking chill out a bit. I've got enough money in the bank. I can see my kids, see my mates. You know whatever he wanted to do. Hanging out with Hasbullah. Yeah. Is is he not MMA related? Seeing as you claim that he's signed to the UFC, he is dog weight division. It, <laughs> he has like his separate hustles, doesn't he? Hasbulla, like selling signed extortion rackets, <laughs> selling his own in inverted commas fight gear. Of that's like me selling um, my football strip. I'm not a football. My football boots. I'm not a footballer. The fuck am I selling boots for? Like, you can sell um, signed gum shield after you get battered in kickboxing tomorrow, can't you? So true. We'll see. So yeah, next week if I'm feeling a bit like this, it's because I've had my teeth knocked out. 
We can only hope. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of... <laughs> can't Tenuous really, link now. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> So Dana White won't be facing any punishment after the uh, New Year's uh, New Year's Eve incident with his wife. Um, I thought it was quite an interesting. Was it an interview? Technically, where he's come out and, and spoken about this. I think him saying about the repercussions and, and what the media want him to face. And I thought it was quite interesting him saying that essentially, look, what do you want me to do? I won't be stepping away. What do you want me to take thirty days off? How does that hurt me? It's just going to hurt the fighters. Well, it was kind of Dana esque, isn't it? Which is that which I, as a person, always appreciate, despite with no, uh, you know, endorsing his his actions in any way, shape, or form. But Dana's blunt as fuck, and he was very blunt and honest about it. On what am I going to do? Thirty days away. How does that hurt me? I am the promotion to some degree. Was the reading between the lines, and what he did say, which is. Even again, you could certainly not punishment enough, some would argue, but forever now, he's going to be asked at every single UFC event, you laid on your hands on women, you fired people for saying that. They've, he Again, he's on record as saying the only thing you can never come back from is laying your hands on women, and he's got to come back from that. So he tried to make the point of, look, having you all and basically be a massive fucking hypocrite is punishment enough. I'm sure many would argue that's not punishment enough. Well, it's a difficult situation for him. And again, absolutely no sympathy for him because he's put himself into that situation. But I, I can't help but agree with what he's saying in terms of, look, ultimately, what do you want to happen here? Do you want me to lose my job and, and go elsewhere? Because that's not necessarily going to hurt him as much as it might hurt other people in the promotion. And Absolutely, he does have to live with the fact that he's a massive hypocrite and that he's done something that's completely out of order. He's been caught doing something that's out of order. It's been filmed. It will forever follow him around for the rest of his life. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure what the outcome should be on this. It feels a little bit... I can tell. I can guarantee you this for sure. What happened... Dana is the employee, if we call it that, the back office staff equivalent of Connor. That if Connor did the same... The UFC would not fire him. Like beating up an old man in a bar, for example. Exactly. If a lower fighter that no one is not going to register the pay-per-views did that, they would get fired or their contract would be terminated. Had, now, again, I don't profess to know all the names of the the, 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 the backroom staff of the UFC. Sean Shelby is one of the, uh, the, the fight makers. So he basically, he is employed by uh, the UFC to put together fights reach out to managers, right, you do a guy be fight, interested in fighting these, listening to the fans. If he did it, would they, ah, we're not going to take any action against him. Fuck no, he'd be fired his ass straight away. So to me, Dana, and the only other thing you've got to add into this as well is the way that Dana is getting treated differently. One, he is effectively the face of the organisation because he's the constant. Two, he owns 10% of it. So he is a part owner as well. So I think that, that, he, that the Connor analogy is a good one in that he is the backroom office version of Connor that they could they would only be hurting themselves endeavour the owners of the UFC if they did that any opinions on what he should do or what the repercussions should be or do you think in terms of and it's putting you on the spot it's a bit of a difficult question but in terms of this following around for the rest of his life something that he has to deal with so he has to live with or should it be more than that there's no excuse ever and I'm with him in his own words of this you should never ever lay your hands on women so there is no excuse or remote justification for his actions. 
the only way I could possibly see, given that he'd already come out and said no, the obvious thing to try and make some kind of amends would be, and does again, I'm not saying this does make amends, by the way, this is a suggestion in, in some ways of you asking the question, is does he make some large donation to um, a, a women's victim charity or something like that that at least tries to show I accept what I did was wrong. I'm trying to make some amends. You'll have all the haters out there. She'd never come back from it. She'd be fired. All of that. I don't disagree in some ways. There is never an, any justifiable reason to hit a woman. But I don't know. I don't know what the answer is in terms of what punishment he should face. It's a difficult one and thankfully one that we don't have to decide. So whatever does happen with that. And I get the feeling the Connor analogy is a very good one. You'll see it happen a lot with... These bigger stars, and obviously they're not necessarily comparable instance, but you see things like Cristiano Ronaldo being accused of all these different sexual assaults. You see, you know, the, the bigger stars in not just in in sport, but you know, things like uh, Johnny Depp was quite a big one. So all these things he was apparently accused of, and slight punishments, but there seems to be a certain level of fame or money or wealth that you're essentially above the law and there's only so much that someone can do to then, you know, whittle this down and punish you for it until it's put into the background. And yes, it will follow you around for the rest of your life, but things go on as usual. And for example, if, if one one of these things happened to me or you, we'd be in very, very serious trouble. We'd definitely have lost his jobs, um, if not worse, facing criminal charges, etc., etc. And, you know, rightfully so in that sense. It just seems like these types of people live in a completely different world to us and it's all to do with wealth and fame, isn't it? What's weird is you've got that kind of extra edge of cancel culture these days where people want to take people down, someone like a Tate. Again, slightly diverging off to come back again, but I totally agree with you. There are levels to everything and have fame and your ability to, you know, again, Dana is an owner, it's like, that there are people that are almost beyond cancel culture. And, and someone like Dana, to me, has reached that kind of level. Johnny Depp, like you said, that, you know, they might have to carry this baggage around for a while. But again, back to another point we've made before, the news cycle, you wait around long enough, someone else is will be drawing everybody's irk in another week. Someone else will have done something as egregious or annoying, as criminally, you know, implicating as someone else. And the attention and all the, the hate from everybody will focus on them. So I think Dana has been quite low key for his usual self, particularly during a, the build up to a fight week. So I think that in itself tells you that he's trying to take the heat out of it, and probably that he's got some very good advisors. I would have thought paying a lot of money to that are basically just getting a shitload of money to say, just don't say anything about it, just try and ignore the question, make some charitable donation as though you're making reparations for your actions. And the spotlight will be in someone else next week. We'll move on. A um, little bit lighter news. So AJ McKee, um, very, very exciting prospect, has uh, signed a new multi-fight agreement with Bellator. Big rumours that UFC were going to snap him up. Um, he'd previously entertained this in the media and said that he wanted to meet his goal of, of earning, was it $1 million per fight at Bellator? And he's, he's obviously... Very highly rated prospects. He's won 18 straight fights. He's got a title win, debuted in 2015. Um, a question for you on this. He's currently 27. Um, obviously, he's old as that? Yeah. Um, so he's that. currently 27. 
a few more years in Bellator on the back of this uh, agreement. Can you see him in UFC at all? Well, the fact this? that, again, from what I read, he, in inverted commas, tested free market agency, which is effectively my manager checked around who was prepared to pay what for me to sign somewhere else. And he's re-signed with Bellator. Tells me UFC wouldn't stump up what Bellator are stumping up. I've got a direct quote from him here, which feels to me a bit like a jab against the UFC indiscreetly, but he doesn't want to burn that bridge. Fame don't pay the bills. So he's almost saying to a degree which, you know, UFC's more uh, fan-friendly, more well-known. I would be more famous if I was fighting there, but they're not going to pay me as much. It feels like a pretty not-so-subtle dig to them, basically. And this comes back to the point that we have said, actually, I think it was only last week, now, Bellator will have stumped up some big money for him as well, but a lot of this will be sponsorship in the background. So he will be getting paid a lot probably by Bellator, but that the ability to, when he talks about the million pounds a fight, that will be the ability to earn his own money in sponsorship as opposed to having to accept the sponsorship deals that UFC mandate in place. So I would guess that would have had a pretty significant impact in it. And if I had to guess, pound for pound... I'd be shocked if the UFC didn't, which they often do, is say, we'll match what Bellator have offered you. We've got to cover a little bit of sad news. Um, again, it seems to be more and more often in, in these um, podcasts, but Victoria Lee, uh, rising MMA star, was in uh, one, I believe, one championship, um, has passed away. Um, so she died at the age of 18. Uh, a lot of tributes have been pouring in with regards to her. Um, the family gym in Hawaii has been permanently closed. Um, one is planning to have a, a tribute which will honour a, a legacy forever. Seems to have come out of nowhere, really, this. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any more detail on it, but she was only 18, so you've got her, you wonder. But she is. Um, she was the sister of the, the two current uh, one fighters, the atom weight title holder Angela Lee, who's probably a bit more famously known, and I've got to be honest, I can't remember uh, her brother's name, but there is a, she had a brother who fights in uh, one Christian. as well. So um, she was three, three and up, three and zero oh in in one. She was quite the prospect, and only eighteen. So um, yeah, really sad news that one. She was um, one of these that, and again, as you can tell, um, involved in a family that have definitely invested the time and, and effort and, and everything into being the big martial arts stars that they are and um, yeah the thoughts go out to her family um, Bonner segment so we debuted this last week in honour of um, Bonner who unfortunately passed away and again it, it seems to be a, a recurring thing on these podcasts at the moment there seems to be some very very <coughs> shocking events and, and shock uh, deaths um, in honour of uh, Bonner we are going to review we're going to discuss some of the greatest and most memorable fights in MMA history so we give our listeners a bit of fun homework so to speak uh, we'll post the fight to watch on our Twitter page uh, for the following week and then go through it last week uh, you picked Justin Gagey versus Michael Johnson at Ultimate Fighter 25 which a lot shorter in uh, in comparison to Bonner versus Griffin that we reviewed last week were it shorter than you actually remembered? It was this, uh, I, and I'll be honest it was Probably more one-sided than I remember in terms of being um, Johnson's fight to lose, really. Um, so, I mean, what I didn't remember was this was actually Justin Gagey's debut in the UFC. Um, so uh, this was, he signed from 
I can't remember where he came from. Was it the IPL? Uh, or Professional Fighters League, is it P PFL now? I think he was the champion there. Uh, and it was the Ultimate Fighter Redemption Final, um, fighting um, Michael Johnson. Underrated fighter, and just by the mentioned this is, I think, given we talked about him earlier, he's still the only person to ever properly wobble Khabib. Now, it wasn't a great fight, but if you ever get a chance to look, if you watch him versus Khabib, Khabib's proper fucking chicken-legged. In terms of caught him, went against the cage, managed to take him down and win. But, um... As name me again, how many have seen a Justin Gagey fight that's not super entertaining? Every fight he's in is usually a fight of the year contender, and this was no different, was it? Well, it, it seems to be that Gagey has this knack of trying to give away a fight in which he was winning. Because I actually thought in the, the first round he hurts Johnson uh, and seems to be cruising to a win, and then all of a sudden just gets rocked and, and melted with an uppercut, and Johnson looks like if that first round lasts another 15, 20 seconds, he's winning that fight. Um, really strange one. Yeah, so I mean, again, a few of the notes that I've got here is that uh, immediately out of the cage, Johnson uh, rattles him. Both both, both very quick hands for lightweights and, and swinging. Uh, and then there was a, a few more jabs and, and kick combos from Gagey. Gagey, I mean, he, he literally just walks forward like a zombie, doesn't he? Very, that's where the Korean zombie gets his name from. Um, but just literally taking punches, constant forward pressure. One thing I did like is if you look, they're both talking shit to each other mid-fights. They're both mouthing off to each other. Gagey starts to have a bit of smothering pressure. And he, again, what he's known for is those savage chopping leg kicks, starts hammering away at Johnson's legs, both kicking back, uh, and a few big punches from, from Gagey. All of a sudden... Johnson out of nowhere rocks him hard. Gage had to go for a takedown, try and, and, and stop it. And as you say, out of nowhere, Michael Johnson is uh, is pouring on uh, the pre the pressure uh, and a really like a very very strong end to the round. And I wouldn't disagree with you that if that round had gone another twenty or thirty seconds, it could have been game over. I scored that. Not that we ever know because it didn't go to the judges' scorecard. Uh, Ten nine Gagey. I thought despite the end. I thought the overall round went to, to Gagey. Confidently um, winning the, the first round until that, that random uppercut in which, yeah, it, it rocked him. And as I say, I'm certain that if that first round is a little bit longer, he's losing that fight. So we've got round two. Uh, came out with, again, those chopping leg kicks away, straight away. And he's just smashing his legs. And you can see that it physically is starting to take its toll on and, and, uh, Michael Johnson's movement. He's becoming a bit more compromised. He's a bit slower off his lead leg. He's trying to switch stances because he's clearly taking a beating. All of a sudden, nowhere, bang, Johnson catches him with a massive right hand. And Gagey is proper rocked. He's back to the fence to buy himself a bit of time and he's clinching. Johnson's doing some good body work, punching away. And I've got the point here. Gagey has one of the best chins and abilities to take a punch I've ever seen. He's literally getting smashed at this point. You're like, how on earth is he still upright, let alone still in the fight? All of a sudden, bang, one uppercut from Justin Gagey completely changes the problem. All of a sudden, you can see Johnson's in trouble. Gagey capitalises it, jumps on him, starts piling on the pressure. Bang. 20 seconds left, ref calls it calls it down. Yeah, Gage is, is definitely one of the most stubborn fighters in UFC history. But I think both men, as that round comes to its conclusion and, and as Gage wins it, look absolutely shattered. I think Johnson falls to the floor twice with not being hit or anything. He just falls to the floor to try and buy some time, which obviously keeps getting told to get up. At that point, Gage looks as though he's a bit shattered because he's obviously been 
smacked in the face a number of times and then he's throwing him back. Um, and then I think the highlight of the fight for me, the fight was very good and obviously won fight of the night, but then he goes to um, do a celebratory backflip from top of Optagon and nearly snaps his neck, um, which clever after a very, very long fight. Um, football this week, quite a lot to, to cover. Um, we've got absolutely got to start with Chelsea because... We were talking about the sack race last week. Potter came up. Obviously, there were a few other mentions. Um, you know, you had Jones and Lampard as well. But Chelsea at the moment are going through an absolute horrendous run of form. So, one win, a win in eight games against Bournemouth at home. Got to be winning that anyway. Four goals scored in those eight games. Twelve goals conceded in those eight games. They're out of all the domestic cups. They're tenth in the table. It's untenable, isn't it, for him? got to be given a chance I mean again alright you could argue there comes a point where they're that far off anything not being funny even if they they get in Pep now which is completely unrealistic anyway but you know universally probably accepted as best manager in the world suddenly give Pep Chelsea what's he going to do with them is he going to suddenly get them in the top four from where they are now the top four is not a million miles off and I think people are getting a bit carried away still but I almost feel like they need to accept this is a season of transition and either do it now or stick with him all the way through. A few more games and then doing it. Why have you just let him spend £11 million on a guy who's only going to be there for six months if he's, you're going to fire him in a few weeks? So, stick or twist for me, uh, for Bowley. Get rid of him now, if that's what you're going to do, and you're going to be a itchy trigger finger and you, you know be, be like that with your, your managers. Or give him the time to bed down, get his, his ethos, his teamwork, the way he wants to play across... Give him another transfer window in the summer and see how it pans out. But enough of this bullshit. Oh, you've been six months, you're fired at a top team. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? You look at Arteta. Arteta is a perfect example of giving someone a bit more time when it looks as though they're running out of it rapidly. So obviously he was given a bit more time. A lot of the Arsenal fans last season calling for his head. A lot of Arsenal fans this season saying he's the best thing since sliced bread. So it's it's funny how fickle football is and... In my opinion, personally, I think Bowley should get rid of him. I think he should look for a fellow countryman, let's say, you know, an American in the Premier League. Um, I can't think of any American Premier League managers. Um, I feel like this any is that comes about, to mind. About as biased as me now when mm. we talk about Liverpool. The only reason you want Pot sacked is because you think there's a chance that Leeds might get him. And that would be a great signing for Leeds, just be a 100% great signing. But yeah. I think that's about as likely as Wakey Wines selling Prime at the actual recommended retail price. I'm beyond sick of seeing this man now. Like, I, I swear to God, if I see him one more time on my TikTok, I am probably going to do nothing and just sit and vent for a little bit and then just scroll through TikTok as I normally do. But I, I just... How is this man getting so much publicity? Every single time I see something on Twitter, you've got KSI. A convicted now. drug dealer, by the way. No, that's what we've talked about in a, in, a, in, a, in a previous episode. What a piece of shit charging people these prices. Unbelievable. Let's not give him an ounce more second shade because of all He that. says bringing him up on the podcast, which obviously has thousands and thousands of listeners. Our reach knows no bounds. Um, he's selling, you know, he's selling sweets with his face on now. And bottles of water with his face on for like 15 quid. But who's buying... I mean, I, not that I, I don't get this prime shit, but 
it's because of the buzz and everyone else buying it. Surely there's no buzz about buying some sweets that have got a random dude's face on from a really shit boozer in Wakefield. There is, if it's from the best shop in Wakey. Wakey Wines. <laughs> I tell you what, kids these days, I don't understand youth. I don't understand anyone. I, literally, I, this the fact that this has gone viral and we haven't, there's something not going <laughs> right now. <laughs> we talk sense, got good points, and this fucking joker. We don't charge is... for it either. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Oh, yeah, come and listen to our opinions for a £100 a listen. Fucking maybe that's what we should do. Maybe that's how we get big, is we charge people £100 a download, and maybe they would pay it. Gala, gala, good bingo. Good, yeah. I like it, I like it. I thought that good, good little set would make ourselves a bit more exclusive. £1,000 for a fucking download. Might be on uh, Capital Radio, been talked about by Roman Kemp before we know it. Um, a lot of shocks in the FA Cup. Um, quite a lot more than I expected. Football's in a weird place at the moment. Quite I mean, a lot more shocks. Ridiculous amount of numbers. I mean, I've, got, I've got five written down, which I would say maybe the top five. There are other ones that probably that fell outside of that. So, I mean, this probably shouldn't be a shock. Blackpool 4, Forest 1. It's not a shock at all. But I I mean, Forest won a bit of a turnaround somewhere, and Blackpool aren't exactly smashing it in um, the championship, are they? But on paper, it's got to be down as a shock. <laughs> Technically, I suppose. Newcastle's the biggest this shock. This one probably, to me, is the least shocking of them. With Bournemouth 2, Burnley 4. Burnley are flying at the moment. Well, yeah, because Bournemouth will probably get replaced by Burnley. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, that one, what, again, on paper, though, it's a championship team are winning away at a Premier League team. Fleetwood beating QPR 2-1. Um, QPR have the worst footballer in the world in Tyler Roberts at their team. So, yeah, not a shock in the slightest. Uh, this one um, was uh, a bit of a random one, which was Coventry 3, Wrexham 4. So that, that again, is uh, Wrexham are what um, oh, it's always, conference? Always against, sunny in Wrexham, isn't it? So. Against um, Coventry from um, the Championship. So on paper, that's probably the biggest shock in terms of the gap between the clubs on on the league ladder, Coventry City have a, a young lad up front. I can't pronounce his name. The Swedish kid. Yeah, literally one of the hardest names. It's like speaking about UFC fighters. Um, that might push him out of door because there's a lot of interest in him at the moment. Been banging him in over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, a lot. Of actually, teams. I didn't realise until I read something on him that he was actually at Brighton. You know, this was another yeah. one that Brighton had picked up and let him out on loan, and then they signed him. But yeah, he's a little bit of a goal machine at the Championship level, isn't it? Taking over from. Uh, I'm not going to say with surname. G-Y. Yeah. yeah. Um, he is taking over the limelight from Ben Brereton-Diaz at the moment as the, the next up-and-coming striker that people want from the Championship. So he'll definitely end up at Everton for about £20 million in transfer winner. And then the final one was, again, surprising given their good form, is Sheffield Wednesday 2, Newcastle 1. Um, definitely an offside first goal. And... They were pretty poor, to be honest, Newcastle. Chris Wood should have scored a couple, and it's just an outlier in their season. I think it's more frustrating for them because, as you say, they're in such good form. They'd want to maintain their position in all these cups. Um, semis were good of for the it. Carabao Cup, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, the, the, the semis of the Carabao Cup. So, I mean, that was one of the things they were going to come on to, and that's. They look. It's almost like it's written in the stars that they're going to potentially win this. Um, Manchester United seem to be their biggest opposition. Obviously, they've got a semi-final against Southampton, uh, final against then Manchester United or Forest. I, I can't imagine Forest winning that game without their goalkeeper as well, because obviously Dean Henderson can't play. Um, but if they win a trophy before they end up spending big, 
that would be a worry, I think, for the top six. And I think the top six are already starting to worry quite considerably, or quote-unquote top six, because obviously it's, it's very fluid these days. But Newcastle seem to be just making constant strides. If they pick up a trophy, I think that's going to take them to the next level. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do if they do get either top four or a trophy, whether you know the owners then, they've been quite... They've definitely put their hand in their pocket, but they haven't just been super flush, have they? They seem to have been relatively picky who they've gone for and where they've spent the money, whether they do it a little bit more, uh, you know, splashing the cash if they did uh, go up. But yeah, that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. And obviously from a Liverpool perspective, I hope they don't get the top four. But um, Well, they'll go into the Europa League, won't they? If they <laughs> win the Carabao Cup, it's an automatic qualification space. They do, but it's one of those, if they come top four, Champions League bumps it, and then the Carabao Cup position that they've then got, or Europa League, whatever, it gets bumped down the league, doesn't it? So if you Fingers get, crossed. Because um, then when Leeds finish in sixth or seventh this season, after they have a resurgence under Jesse Marsh, we'll, uh, we'll be in Europe. You might need that, actually, based oh, on your form at the moment. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> if we have to go back to playing on Thursdays, it's been a good 10 years since we had to do that dog shit and it used to be covered on Channel 5. That was the ultimate disgrace. Not only do you play Thursdays, so you then get every game week as a fucking Sunday, which drives me up the wall. Your coverage is on Channel 5, but um, obviously that, times have changed then. I'm trying to think the kit that you wore. Was it the all red and it had like a gold, had a gold um, badge and gold whatever name? Sponsor's name. Yeah. Adidas it was at the time then. Um, I mean, it's probably... Um, I don't know if that was Europa League year, yeah, but I, this was long before it was called the Europa League and it certainly wasn't the Europa, Europa Conference. And the, yeah, it was Europa Cup. Um, but uh, yeah, those days of a Thursday, Sundays, hopefully are long in the past, but maybe not if we carry on playing like we are. But let's well, not uh, yeah, talk it, about that shit. Depressing me. If you did get into uh, Europa Conference League, you wouldn't be playing Busquets, would you? <sighs> Well, my little milestone here. So he reached 700 games this week. He played, came on the, off the bench for Barca. I had a quick question for you. Can you name me the two players that have got more games for Barca? Both really obvious. I think that people would be screaming out. Xavi and Iniesta. Xavi's one. Messi. Correct. Iniesta didn't play that many no, games? No, not that many. Iniesta's the one who went to Saudi Arabia. No, that's Xavi. Uh, Iniesta went to Japan and if I'm not mistaken he's still playing in Japan how old is he? Like 38 or something like that that's he went old, to I can't remember the team but he's still playing uh, yeah, in Japan Iniesta but uh, yeah less games than like a child's league to him I assume just I mean they, the team that he went to went through a period where they got a few Spanish players they also got Fernando Torres right at the tail end of his career for six months and some other Spanish sent, old centre-back that name I can't is on the tip of my tongue but um, yep still playing but yeah um, didn't reach 700 games in Iniesta it's got to be close then I, I, think, was he I think if you again I haven't got the numbers in front of me but I bet you after those three the next two would be Iniesta and PK I'm going to say PK has got to be up there as well um, January transfer window is in full flow so it's the 13th of Jan as we're recording this um, I can't remember how many days it was a couple of weeks left of the transfer window you don't seem to be as active as you might have wanted to be obviously Gakpo uh, big signing coming in minimal impact thus far but obviously he's played very little so it's thing. one game yeah um, I would put to you and it hasn't been confirmed as of yet so there's still time for it to fall through and I very rarely as you know like to talk about my own team but I put to you that 
Rutter is the signing of the January transfer window in the Premier League, if not in the world. Uh, I think it's too early, far too early to gauge that if we're trying to take a pragmatic look at it. I think it's a very good coup from what I've seen, uh, read about him and have seen. that I think it's a, uh, definitely a step in the right direction for Leeds as well and it would definitely add to the attacking armoury uh, of the team. Let's be honest, what else is there even remotely to compare it to in terms of waves apart from Gakpo and Jao Felix at the moment? There's no other ones that would even really register in terms of potentially being better than that, would you say? I don't count learning signings. So uh, okay. it's literally just permanent. Um, so yeah, it's him or Gakpo. And... Could it prove to be? And, and, and on paper, it's a far more influential and necessary signing than Gakpo is for, for Liverpool. So I, I see where you're coming from. I think this far into the window, it's considerably far too early to say he is the best signing. Disagree. Record. He is the best signing in the world Ever. You clearly are a bit excited about him because yesterday told me one of the gimpiest things that I've never known anyone say before is, I'm checking his flight over from wherever he signs his medical and his flight's the third most checked uh, plane journey in tracker. the world. Yeah, well, And I posed you the leads. immediate question, whose two flights are being tracked more than his? Which but, I still, I'll be honest, I went to sleep thinking about that question because I was thinking, who is being tracked that much? If it's not a footballer... Who is tracking a flight and what's on that but flight? If you've got a private plane, why do you have to be like, is that like someone like Elon Musk? Like, talk about waiting to get blown up or attacked. <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like that, yeah. having yourself tracked. People know where you've. I'd never heard of that before, so you enlightened me uh, by, with that that was even a possibility but, yesterday. But in all seriousness, so the reason that I'm saying this about Rutter isn't. I obviously don't think he's the best signing ever. He might be, but he's Could not be. currently. Yeah, possibly. Um, this is it's going to be Leeds' record signing. So twenty-five to thirty million as an initial fee. It's going to potentially rise towards thirty-five with add-ons, um, which would take him over Rodrigo's fee, who is currently the record signing. He's been monitored over the past few years by Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig, Arsenal, Newcastle, AC Milan. You name it, they've looked at him. Haven't bought him, but they have looked at him. Um, he's obviously come through the youth ranks at Rene, um, other talented players like Dembele and Camavinga, I think, most recently. Um, Ten goals and six assists in 48 Bundesliga appearances. It's not pulling up trees, but he is only young. He was a Golden Boy nominee last season. It's pacey, it's direct, it's a counter-attacking threat, which Jesse Marsh sorely needs at the moment. It's versatile. And I think the biggest factor about him that I look, uh, like most is that he's ambipedal. Ambipedal? Ambipedal? Is that, the, is that the clever way of saying both he's feet? Both, yeah, he plays with both feet. Um, so he scores a lot of his goals with both feet, which is very rare in a striker these days. And he can play either side. He can play on the wing if he wants to. But him, Nonto, and then potentially Sinistera, with Rodrigo in his form at the moment, that's quite an impressive relegation battle that we've got. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, I totally agree with you. And on paper, you shouldn't even be remotely near the relegation battle, should you, with that that kind of strike force and power. Thanks, Jesse. But, um, it feels like you're going a little bit former, probably show me age here, Kevin Keegan, Newcastle-esque, which is no matter how bad we are at the back, we'll just try and outscore you, which is great for a fan. Admitting that, I mean, this is the man that, I don't like basketball because I'd rather a nil-nil every week. So is that not a 4-3 win every week? A bad thing for you, going more attacking and not showing up that defence. I'll be honest, any win, any week is good for us at the moment because we can't even beat fucking Cardiff. So never mind beating good teams and we'll probably get hammered by Villa tonight. 
Um, Max Ferber is is involved tonight, so we should see hopefully a little bit of a better defence. But I don't doubt it. Well, is is, is it confirmed for you if it's confirmed? Because are we not? Protect- we are going to Leeds Cardiff replay next Wednesday. We're next not Wednesday, in the hope that it is Rutter's debut. So uh, we may well do a quick lads away day even though it's not away day is it? it's at home so <laughs> it's at home, home day uh, on the way to the game uh, but yeah we are attending the match are we not well you attend every match but I'm coming with you you are um, just a <laughs> cup replay we'll see what happens and I'll be honest I'm just looking here still no confirmation that he has um, signed the biggest news here seems to be that Leandro Trossard's representative have now just issued a statement saying he wants to leave Brighton so something's clearly going wrong with is that is he had a contract in the summer is it, is no, because they, it... they triggered a, an extra year, didn't they? So he would be, right. but he's got an extra year on. Someone's going to go by in yeah, I was say, January. He could have already signed for somebody else, uh, foreign clubs from the 1st of January, if that was the case. But yeah, that makes sense why he hasn't uh, necessarily gone uh, straight away. I hope he does uh, an Erden winger and turns up at, like, I don't know, it'll probably be Spurs way. It screams a Spurs transfer, but I hope he turns up at Spurs' stadium and they're like, you know, yeah, we're not saying uh, Potter potentially if he keeps his job, giving that he's worked with them at Brighton as well. He's the other one that screams out to me that uh, would be give him from... more money. Again, depends whether they stick or twist, don't they? But um, just on the transfer window, I don't know whether this is too much. Again, given last week I had a little article for you of the top twenty-five, and you shot me down to ten. This is the top hundred transfers in I've January. Got a little article here, which is the alleged, just one person's completely subjective opinion top 10 January transfer windows ever in the Premier League and there's a transfer few... signings you said this to me earlier on it's not transfer windows transfer window signing January transfer go. window signings I'm going to say because transfer windows you're talking about years then we literally will be until so I'm just trying to even look for the name of the author that I could at least call this person out and say this, uh, it's on uh, one football uh, but uh, it's um, hasn't got any author apparently but um, some of these would be very little of the others Again, there doesn't seem to be any subjective criteria that have necessarily gone on to say these. Number 10, James Tarwowski to Burnley, 2016. Tarkovsky? <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's at Everton now, isn't he? He is, yeah. So it's he's at signing. number 10. Kind of. Um, and he's put, Burnley were promoted within six months of his arrival. The forward Brentford man became uh, one of the Premier League's most reliable centre-backs and even earned two England caps in 2018. He was much better for Burnley than he has been for Everton thus far. I think he's hundred percent right. agreed. But yeah, he's, he's seems to have gone off the boil a little bit. He's not mentioned in the England conversation anymore. Number nine, John Stones to Everton. He was just eighteen. He'd made twenty-four championship appearances for Barnsley when Everton snapped him up for three million. I remember playing against him, um, Leeds versus Barnsley, and I remember him being very good at that point in time. He's obviously gone on for bigger and better things, and he seems to be getting even better this season for City. Number eight. One for me that should have been in the top 10, even if he had an immediate impact, if not maybe a longer lasting impact. Daniel Sturridge, Liverpool, 2013. So this was where you probably don't remember, is it 10 years? 10 years ago, a couple of days ago that he signed us sort of things. But he was on, he was at Chelsea, he'd been a few other places, but he'd been on loan at Bolton. And he was he had a really good period for Bolton. Came in and for two or three years, he added some real quality and pace to our strike force with Suarez in the year of the Gerard slip just before we um, threw away the title. But, we had to um, watch that stupid celebration that he used to do every single time he scored a goal. It became one of the most frustrating things to watch on TV. Uh, number seven, as uh, Branislav Isvanovic to Chelsea, 2007. 
Uh, it was a relative unknown when the Blues paid Russian record 9.7 million to Spartak Moscow for him in January 2008. That war, unreal signing. Ah, uh, it speaks for himself, doesn't it? Really, it's again, anyone of a particular generation. 2007, we are getting on a bit. Absolute quality at centre back or right back. Um, number six, this one I'd be a bit dis- dis- inclined to disagree with. Gary Cahill to Chelsea, 2012. From Bolton. From um, yes. One. Seven mil they paid for him. Were he that good for you? We're all right. He was just steady away yeah, when they right. like didn't rear up. And he wasn't like he was a John Terry, like a club legend. Or, mm. but yeah, I I disagree personally with that one. Is it Palace um, now? Oh, he was. Whether he still is is a good chart. I don't know. Might well be making up the numbers, getting splinters on his ass on the bench for Palace. I would have thought, but. Number five, there does seem to be a slight Liverpool bias to these these uh, ones. And that, no, as I said, they're not mine. This one, again, you have to agree with. Number five, Coutinho. Enter to Liverpool 2013. Yeah, outstanding for you. Rid- ridiculous how good he was, but also we paid 8.5 million for him. We sold him for 142 million with add-ons included. That is a ridiculous uh, return on your investment and... I think to this day still remains the top scoring Brazilian in the Premier League. Which, again, I can't correct you on that because I'm not entirely sure. Um, but you've also got to look at how he performed after he left Liverpool, and it's got to be looked at one of the best deals for Liverpool. Top as well. five best ever transfer bummings of all time. We did to Barca with that one, um, yeah. But I mean, again, some of the goals he used to score that he was obviously on the left side of the three that cut in. Curling in the right corner, you knew what he was going to do, and you could never stop it. He must have scored ten goals. I could name you where he did that exact same thing. Keep it just unreal. unreal. Do you ever wonder what would have been if he'd have stayed? Because I appreciate, obviously, the big question is here: the money he no because gave you, then obviously we invested that yeah. money in Allison and Virgil. So for me, ten times out of ten, I would take it. And again, look at the trajectory of his career afterwards. He's never been the same. He's he, nowhere remotely at Barca or Villa reached the heights he, he I think us. he's on the way out from Villa by the looks of it as well because he doesn't seem to be getting as much game time he's playing in Cup um, pretty poor against Rich Shrewsbury yeah so I mean to me that was the start of the rebuild and the so yeah I've got to be honest I I, I do sometimes my mind wander and think imagine if we'd kept him and we'd built on that but that self laid the foot and if you look at then taking Alisson and Virgil every day of the week number four Patrice Evra to Man United, 2006. Undeniable, yeah. You don't think? You don't think that were a good signing? I'm not Man U's biggest fan, am I? And I fucking hate... Evra might be my most hated Manchester United player after Gary Neville. But he posts videos these days and says, I love this game. You not not enjoy those videos? Don't go on social media, but I don't brilliant know. Player. But, um, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, player. a bargain. I, I, again, as much as I might dislike him, um, very good signing. Did again, you knew what you got with Everett, didn't you? Obviously, again, not only the man you link and that. Obviously, I'm a big Suarez fan. It was him and Suarez that had the 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 running, if we call it that, and and, and to do. But um, yeah, definitely deserves to be top five. I wonder who's going to be in the next few transfers then. So number three, and to be this has to be number one, but Luis Suarez, oh, 2011. Um, now, we lost Torres that window. So we sold Torres to Chelsea. Ironically, Suarez was the second striker. Don't know if you recall who we spent more money on than Suarez in the same transfer window. 
Um, you bought two strikers in the same window. Yep. So we sold Torres for thirty-five. Sorry, for fifty. We spent about twenty-two. I think it was on Suarez. We spent thirty-five on someone else. Storage. Andy Carroll. Yes, it was. Andy, Andy Car- Carroll was. was the superstar signing. We were like, what the fuck? Suarez was brought in as well. We'll get him as well. Fucking Andy Carroll. I've known Suarez did unbelievable numbers at Ajax. And there was, again, that went under the radar. Got the signed shirt, haven't I, at home? Um, Have you? Have you <laughs> got a signed, signed by a robot. But, um, <laughs> for me, there was a 12-month period. I've never seen anyone play like that in a Liverpool shirt. Always have a special plate in my heart, despite everything. Is I think his best moment is when he scored against you in the Champions League. Piece of shit, and that still this day burns me up a little bit inside. But moving on, number number two, also Liverpool, Virgil Van Dijk. So I think Liverpool have got a fight. I'm guessing the the this guy a Liverpool fan. He must be. We don't know who it is, but Virgil Van Dijk. Now this one has to be top three, and undeniable his impact. He's fallen off obviously recently. There was, again, a two-season period where he was easily and universally recognised as the best centre-back in the world. Weirdly, he seems to have fallen off since we started this podcast. I think his actual drop in form, if you look at the first episode of the podcast, would coincide with that. He just had, when he was at his best, he just had this ability to step it up in a gear. And I remember, again, real weirdly, it was one of the first ever Friday night matches. This is going back, well... They bought him in 2018, so it must be that either that season or the season after. I remember flying home from work on the Friday to watch Liverpool Wolves. And this was when everyone was up, right up Traore's arse. Oh, he's the quickest player ever. He's the quickest player ever on the Premier League without the ball. And there was one bit where he had about three or four yards on Virgil down the right-hand side and just put on the afterburners. Virgil didn't even look like he broke sweat. Caught up with him, got the ball off him. I remember sitting back like, Jesus Christ, how quick you are. He was rangy. Still passed those balls out on the right to, to Trent Alexander-Arnold. Just everything about him oozed class. And he brought the quality of the players up around him. That was one his of his best qualities. His anticipation, I think, run rivalry. It's obviously, as you say, he's fallen off a little bit this year. And for whatever reason, his pace seems to be following. Um, it's the knee injury. The downfall, but... 18 months ago, and yeah, it's a hard absolutely. one to come back from. That, to me, was the, the start of the downfall. But number one, can you tell me number Well, I did tell you number one. So you're going to you be... Did, you haven't oh. told me number one. Um, is it who did it? give me the team Manchester United what year does it say 2005 Robin van Persie Nemanja Vidic oh. so um, it says oh, here some would argue Van Dijk is the greatest Premier League centre back of all time I'm not so sure about that but however there are a select group that have something to say about that including Vidic Spartak Moscow have a penchant for discovering talent in defended Defenders, the Serbian, is the second Gladiators alumni to feature on this list. He soon became one of the most menacing centre-halves in the division, and alongside Rio Ferdinand, was incredibly difficult to get past. In nine years at Old Trafford, he clinched five Premier League titles. Vidic or Van Dijk? I hate to say it. I don't know if I can even... Vidic. Van Dijk is the more complete player. Vidic is the better defender. And I, as much as I love someone like Van Dijk, I'm a defender's defender type of guy. I don't think there's many better ever than Vidic. A completely underrated centre-back Vidic. Never made any fuss, scored a few goals a season, was immaculate defensively. Can't ping a long ball out. Couldn't 
everything defend. He loved defending. He you, made Rio Ferdinand him, look better than he was. You calling him underrated might be one of the worst takes in football in history ever. I think he is quite consistently in people's Premier League teams ever, or Premier League 11s. Um, you normally get him, Terry, his arguments of Ferdinand. You would always have put Van Dijk in alongside him. But yeah, Vidic, I think he's always alongside him. Definitely um, Vidic for me. Um, we don't normally cover different sports on this we normally stick with MMA boxing and football but I did want to cover golf this week because uh, golfing legend has retired Um, Gareth Bale uh, from Wales um, fantastic golfer absolutely outstanding at what he did I think he also dabbled at a few teams in in Europe in football uh, a few different times but no obviously uh, Gareth Bale has announced his retirement from international and from club football which he did make a big point that, or it sounded like he made a big, big point about not retiring from international football. I think that he's just lost the love of football in the last sort of four or five years. Completely. It was quite sudden and immediate, wasn't it? Um, that he didn't seem people asking the question after Wales got knocked out. It didn't necessarily seem to be on at the forefront of his mind um, that he was going to retire. So it came a little bit um, as a bit of a shock, I thought, but. Yeah, he's probably have to play in the LIV uh, golf tour or whatever it is in Saudi Arabia, isn't he, I would have thought. Um, but yeah, he seems to have fallen out of love with football, I think you could say. Um, he'll be releasing seem... a book in no time. I doubt he'll be going to any sort of managerial um, jobs. It might, might be a pundit, but yeah, he'll be bigger yeah, than Prince you could Harry see him, before you, you know could it. see him just kind of playing golf, chilling out, maybe appearing on Welsh TV to commentate for the Wales games, that type of like part-time pundit. Not What's even Welsh that. TV? They've got their own TV station, haven't they? Have they? Yeah, there's like a BBC Wales, there's like an ITV Welsh, like there is like, you know, you, you get North what? Tonight. Yeah, BBC Wales. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> this news B- to me. BBC but... is regional, isn't it? So like, look North. That's the northern version. Well, that's of local the news. news. Local yeah, news. Yeah, there's like a local news as well. There'll be like a BBC, BBC World. Look it up on um, your Sky. There's a different. I'm not going ego. on my Sky to find BBC. Was it all in Welsh? I think you can get a Welsh version of it, but yeah. It's like well, surely it's got to be in Welsh. What's the point in watching BBC Wales if it's not It'll in be Welsh? Welsh commentators, or like not necessarily speaking in Welsh, but John you know, Hartson. Yeah, probably got John Hartson. I'm sure will be a regular. But he's on, on BBC Wales, English BBC. For footballs, footballs, football games. Fucking go and watch it. I know you're asking the wrong fucking guy. What's going on? Yeah, but yeah, do you know what I mean? In Love terms of mind. being a part-time pundit, I can't see him being a a, a Gary Neville, a a Jamie Carragher using it as a, as a full-time job. I think he'd pick and choose and screams. BT screams the new McManaman. Someone who I'm going to have to listen to his gritty voice through Champions League games talk about how good, you know, Tottenham are and all this. Well, Tottenham are getting to Champions League, but a team in the Champions League that I'm sure it'll go on about but um, you did mention to do with uh, general transfers and you mentioned obviously when we were talking about Graham Potter the £11 million that he's just been given to sign someone on loan um, Chow Felix I would call him after last night's debut <coughs> um, so he was sent off last week uh, last week last night for the ridiculous challenge on Kenny Tete, I think it was, against Fulham. Um, but, put this to you, 
He can take comfort in knowing he's not the first and he won't be the last player to have an absolute horror debut. I've got a list of four others that I thought were definitely worth mentioning. Um, there's one that you're definitely going to get as the worst, and I'll leave that till last. Um, Rio Ferdinand, if you remember his debut uh, when he signed for Leeds from West Ham, he became Britain's most expensive player at that point in time. I think we were at 18 million deal. He, I don't remember what happened. The one that springs, Shocking. springs to mind. I don't want to. If I'm no, no, you, well, save it because it's it's a Spanish debut. So yes, you know he's that's exactly it. what I was going to say. Yeah, save it. Yeah, it's I terrible. I remember it. Um, yeah, but Rio Ferdinand. So when he became Britain's most expensive player, he came into this star-studded Leeds team. Lost three-one to Leicester. Like got absolutely ragged. Um, him and, and Radebe. Um Ibrahimovic had a horrendous debut. So when he first signed for AC Milan, obviously he's talked about uh, a lot these days. Where, where is Ibrahimovic? He's he injured, been injured for a while, but um, did sign, I think he's to the end of the season, whether he's ah, in right, dispute, okay. whether he's 41, I think he's now. Yeah, Ridiculous. He's, he's getting on. Um, so the first time he signed for AC Milan, I think they played Cena and he missed a penalty. Siena, I believe you mean. Is it? I thought it was Cena. Spell it. S-I-E-C-E-S-E-N-A. Oh, okay. It's a different team. Ah, well, that's what you get. That's what you get for trying to interject and be fucking Billy Big Bollocks. Um, No, he missed a penalty against them and they lost 2-0. I'll give you... You want to talk about it, clearly you're getting excited. Jonathan Woodcut, the the worst of the worst. And a red card, was it not? Two yellows to a red and an own goal. Widely rated at that point as one of the best upcoming English defensive prospects. Signed for 13 million in 2004. Scores an own goal in ridiculous fashion against Bilbao and then gets sent off for a second yellow later on. Remember it very vividly as the worst debut ever. Watched it because it was so hyped. Oh, what's he going to do? He's in it. It was very. That was very rare that English players would go abroad. Then wasn't he? It was one of a very yes. early sort of generation to do that. I remember watching it and just being like, "Oh my god, what a nightmare!" I put it to you that that's only the second worst debut of all time. The actual worst debut goes to Ali Dia, who conned his way into football in folklore when he convinced Sunez he'd be the answer to Southampton's goalscoring problems. 1996, debuts against Leeds in the 32nd minute. Leeds are involved in a lot of these. And uh, I think, did he come on for Matt Letizia? Injured Matt Letizia at the time. Subbed off with five minutes left and Letizia would later go on to describe him as Bambi on ice. An absolute con man, but a legend of football. So question for you then, with Felix getting sent off, I did read this, I'm not going to say I knew this one, this one is it. He became the first player to be sent off on his Premier League debut since 2014. Can you tell me who that previous player was? I, I'll be honest with you, I'd give you um, 200 guesses and you wouldn't get it. Jovinia. No. Played for Spurs. Uh, position? Centre-back. Uh, I think I can even narrow it down, you what? won't get it. Um... Argentinian. I feel like I should get it, but... Went on, I think, to play for Roma from Spurs. It's making it worse for me. Federico Fazio. How on earth would I... What? I decided that, that one was what? I only read that. There's no way in the way. Again, you could have given me 200 guesses on that. I don't think I would have got that one. But no. yeah, last pre- pre- uh, Premier League player to be sent off on their debut. In line with me taking quite a while to answer that... There's been a lot of time wasting this season. 
Uh, I'm better, getting much better at these uh, little segues to the to the new subjects. But um, yeah, a lot of time wasting this season, Premier League. Ridiculous. I mean, I, I read an article on it yesterday and highlighted this point. We've got to talk about it. So this season alone, the ball has only been in play for 50, 56% of the average match. Apparently that has fallen year on year over the last 10 years. Don't know from what. Admittedly, didn't make notes on that. Worst game this season, Crystal Palace versus Leeds. The play, the ball was only in play for 44% of the match of almost 101 minutes of football. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I remember watching this game and it was atrocious. It's, it's all fouls. It's taking your time with your throw-ins, your goal kicks. It's becoming an epidemic. I'm sure we've talked about this on a previous episode, but... I'm sick of watching it. I think the World Cup actually, and I know it got a lot of criticism for the added time, but actually did the right thing in adding these ridiculous amounts of added time to highlight just how little football is is getting played at the moment. I don't know how you, you rectify it. I think the only thing that you can do is to try and adapt a rugby league type where every time the ball goes out, you stop the clock and have it for 80 minutes instead. But I'm telling you, if you did that in football, you'd be there for about seven hours. It feels like a, a symptom of all of the things. Now, VAR is a massive contributor to that because of the fucking ridiculous delays that we've talked about in terms of a goal and, and checks. That's definitely contributed. You'd mentioned it a few weeks ago about the slightly subjective views on time wasting. One minute, ah, oh, the scum of the earth. And then it's a, it's clever game management. Um, and just general stoppages as well. You know, we're getting... More, it seemed to go back to the days of people rolling around on the floor after every tackle and stoppages and getting booted out for, for throw-ins. It, it just seems to me symptomatic of all of the, throwing all of those things together. It's just having a massive contribution to it. But 56% is astonishingly low. I bet you David Koo is half the reason for the delays because he is an atrocious referee. And I'll say this every single time that Leeds end up getting him or any time I see him, like for example, last night, look how long he took to send off Felix. Yeah, Felix. He, he walked around, he made a big thing of it, he had the players following him before then trying to make a big thing of, right, I'm going to send him off. I'm sure it took him about maybe a minute to issue a red card for a really obvious foul. And it would just... I don't like David Coop. Yeah, I just... It's just depressing a bit, isn't it, really? Fifth, I mean, you, unlike me, pay your hard-earned money to go and watch matches in the cold in the rain etc and that and when your ball's only in play for 56% and then you're losing sadly like Leeds seem to be doing at the moment you, you've got to be sat there questioning why the fuck am I paying my money and it's not a cheap sum of money to be paying for a season ticket uh, you know Leeds might be one of the cheaper ones compared to some of the other bigger bigger six teams or certainly the London clubs I'm sure that's a fucking fortune for a season ticket to be watching 56% of the ball in play fuck that. And when the ball is in play, you've got Jesse Marsh's tactics as well. So it's uh, £750 well spent. Um, final bit. So we've got a few bits on boxing this week. Not really that much is going on at the moment. Um, Eddie Hearn, because he can't help but run his mouth. He's, him and Frank Warren, it's just every time you see them in press, you always think that something ridiculous is coming on the back of it. But he has said Anthony Joshua's career is going to be over should he lose in April. Now, there's no fight that's confirmed as of yet. His opponent is expected to be most likely a gimme against a bottom-tier heavyweight, but he's already making sure, in typical Eddie Hearn fashion, I'm going to get loads of publicity, 
going to get my face in the press and I'm going to pile a load of unnecessary pressure on the fight. There's enough pressure as it is on Anthony Joshua because he's coming off the back of two losses. People are significantly doubting that he's you know, going to go and, and win another world title ever again. And it'd be very interesting to see how low of a level the tune-up fight is going to be because he's obviously got to rebuild all that shattered confidence. Um, the aim at the moment is for a big fight in summer, which unfortunately seems to be the Dillian White rematch, which is what I think will happen. Um, obviously, it's a quote-unquote big fight, but not too big in that AJ should be losing that. Uh, Annie Ruiz Jr. were mentioned again. Not a fight that I'd want to see. Um, Wilder is also there, but Frank Warren has come out and said, doesn't matter what happens, Fury won't be fighting AJ in 2023, even if he loses it. Um, the winner of that Fury and Usyk fight as well is going to be absolutely blasted with mandatories. I think you've got um, Philip Hergovic is the IBF mandatory, Daniel Dubois is the WA uh, mandatory, and I'll be honest, I think if Fury loses, or even if he wins, I think he retires. So it's just typical Eddie Hearn, essentially. He's just trying to sell a stinker, isn't he? Not being funny, whoever he's matched up against, does anyone really care? We seem to be moving towards the confirmation of what we want to see, which is Fury Music. Um You take those two out of the the, the, the the mixing pot, who else is there really that you'd want to see AJ fight? Bar, I know you've mentioned it a few times, the only obvious one for me, which is an infinitely very dangerous fight for, for, uh, for AJ, would be Fury. It's the only other person I'd say that in terms of someone I'd want to see him fight, you know, me or actually who is, all of the other mandatories he went through, nah, not interested. Yeah, um, I think there's, there's very little interest all around. Um, could have him paired up against that bloke from Tenerife, which, first time you've ever seen him, you attempted to do the catchphrase there and then pulled him back away from it. But um, yeah, the very good, very nice bloke that Ian has never seen. Never seen or heard him. Unbelievable. And Steph in the office introduced me into this week. I blew my mind how millions of people have. Do it. Um, no, no. Do, do the. Millions of people have watched this fella and his, his, his lyrical catchphrase. I've had that somehow has passed me by. I'm pretty sure he came about in 2020 as well, which shows how old you are. And years yeah, old. It's been literally people have known about this bloke for ages and his funny glasses and funny catchphrases and charging people a tenner for him to get photos with him. He is the original Wakey Wines. Except he doesn't sell Prime, he sells like knockoff Oakleys and like those hats that cover you from rain. It's a really strange world we live in these days. Is all I, say. I, I don't profess to understand it. Or, you know, sometimes I don't even like participating in this crazy world. But Speaking uh, of strange and crazy world, KSI is back in action, which I know you love speaking about, the professional that he is against, and you're not going to believe this, Faze Temper, who is... Who was he supposed to be fighting the... Um, uh, Dylan Dennis D- yeah which was that never going to happen that, that, that was supposed to be this weekend was it correct yeah right, um, okay. so that was never going to happen you can see how quickly they've lined up a replacement for this Dylan Dennis is a, a knob and um, I think it might be the end for him hopefully in terms of publicity I'm sure he'll try and worm his way into it again but um, yeah this fight is expected to be a straightforward win for KSI he has already been calling out Jake Paul as his end game etc etc Question for you, is Jake Paul too far above his level and pay grade at this point? And can he, in any way, shape or form, catch up to it? Yeah, well, it isn't, the only thing is, is 
as much as we dig out Jake Paul, he does seem to have a certain level of dedication and hard work behind the scenes that he's putting into trying to be genuinely a professional boxer and training hard. He's got Shannon Briggs on board. Now, I don't know who's training KSI. I don't know if he's got actually a professional trainer. He also seems to have more skin in more different games. So he, he has this in inverted commas music career is a fucking you, selling seen... fucking bottles of fucking flavored water or <laughs> whereas Jake Paul apart from doesn't he just have a podcast and train so it feels to me that KSI hasn't got the time or the level of dedication that Paul has and you're never going to catch up in that case He's, have you not seen his trainer Vidal Riley no so Vidal Riley is a prospect he's now signed up with boxer I think um Sky Sports and he's all right actually he's not pulling up roots or anything like that but he is all right, he's a. I can't remember what weight he's at, but he, he's quite good at knocking out. I think he's knocked out just about <laughs> knocking out other men. Knocking out wanks. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, annoyingly about that, I think the only fight that he hasn't knocked someone out is a fight that me and my mates put quite a lot of money on him to knock this bloke out in like two rounds. We're fuming about that and a ponty night out. Um, but yeah, he's, he's all right. He's and your that's mate, Ivan Tony. Um, no. Um, what's that? Is that what happened with Ivan Tony at the moment? Uh, he's still not being banned. As I said, it was, is it t- over 200 offences he's charged with oh, in terms know. of breaches of betting? Bet Getting banned. Well, I just Get bet, like, bet on the Australian Women's League or the Belgian Cup, but he's banned from doing that. I mean, it's like. Piss myself if he's like been betting in, on himself I'm telling to score you, I guarantee you, it won't be anything shady. That he's not stupid enough to bet on himself to get sent off or kick the ball. Bet you it's just betting on football that he's got zero impact on. Does it? You know, like some ridiculously low division in another country. I almost guarantee it. I hope you had a bet against um, yourself when uh, Brentford played you. Easy money is that though? I think, to be fair, surely at so. the moment that it's just, literally just <laughs> Odds say, on. give the money to your dad. Dad, stick a bet on me to score. Do you know what I mean, just don't do it yourself. Like how stupid do you want to be, but. Yeah, we digress. Yeah, so KSI, um, back in action, Jake Paul. I think Jake Paul won't even be asked about him anymore. I think he... I think he'd smash him as well. I, I agree, and that'd be quite fun to watch. But um, I think he's aiming towards you, Nate Diaz. Probably aiming towards a Tommy Fury, who is probably on KSI's level because he can't box at all. He's atrocious. Um, not a real boxer. As we've seen in speak other podcasts. To, speak to Rogan about him. Yeah, well, well I will do. I'll have it out with Rogan. I know what he's talking about. Reckoning that... Shut the fuck up! <laughs> reckoning that Tommy Fury is a, a good boxer. He'd get absolutely smashed by Jake Paul. The guy is um, a joke. An absolute joke. But yeah, I, I think he's just far above his pay grade at this point in time is the the point there. Um, and I don't really think it matters what KSI he hasn't does. Fought, KSI hasn't fought Jake Paul, didn't he fight the brother? Logan Paul. Yes, who, is that right? Yes. Who, definitely not as skilled or as dedicated as Jake. Well, he's a wrestler now. He's signed up with WWE. I lose track of all these fucking YouTube gimps. But... Well, these YouTube gimps who are both in, technically, one's in sports entertainment and another is in, in boxing and now UFC. Well, not UFC, MMA, but Hang on. what, a, right what a lot of money that is going to be making. Allegedly going to fight in MMA. He's not being in And the he's UFC. going to tap out Nate Diaz. Um, Jokers, again, we're spending far too much time talking about these clowns. Move on. Yeah, and then just finally, um, as expected, Tank beat Garcia. So he's now on to fight the other Garcia, which is the fight that everyone wants to see. As we said, I don't know about you, I didn't get up for it. I, watched the, I didn't even watch the full fight, if I'm perfectly honest with you. Uh, the next day, I watched the highlights. 
good highlights, looked a good scrap. Um, quality tell by the end of it. Yeah, he, he's, he is a very, very good fighter, is Tank, and a lot of people are backing him to knock out Ryan Garcia, but... Very stout and thick for the weight. Yes, And absolutely. looks like he hits hard. One of those that, like, those kind of the body shots he was starting to do were wearing down on Garcia, but yeah, good as we said it was a bit of a danger for him even though he's already got the next fight uh in in the in the, in the schedule in april. april yeah so uh you know if he did lose or get injured that could have put that uh, on the back burner but yeah big tick in that but yeah that's the fight we want to see him uh versus the other garcia the better garcia should we say definitely yeah undoubtedly um, but yeah i think that's it for this week i i need to get home and go watch Jesse Marshter class against uh, you like that didn't you against against Villa um, be interesting to see if he starts Ferber as well but yeah uh, as always thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you next week. <laughs>